0: welcome to episode 38 of the rain race podcast today we're going to be talking about the ferrari hypercar program what it means for the 24 hours of Le Mans world endurance championship and the state of convergence as a whole we're also going to be talking about the latest news and rumors from indycar and the world endurance championship if you want to join the live discussion for future episodes you can check out my youtube channel that's youtube.com slash c slash gt once again that's youtube.com slash c slash gt until the next episode enjoy episode 38 of the rain race podcast here this evening uh, i'm joined alongside of course by uh, as always terrible intro racing nation tv what's up guys we got a lot to talk about today kyle we've got a some... lot yeah yeah see we missed a week last week uh we didn't have an episode uh was unfortunately caught up with a little bit of schoolwork. school um, comes first but yeah school does have to come first unfortunately as painful as it is sometimes Uh, it's not like I was doing anything fun, software isn't always fun, um, but, it's not too bad, because we didn't have that much to worry about for last week's episode, but this week, oh man, we got a whole news dump to talk about. Um, before we talk about any of that, I just want to say... Because, you know, it has been two weeks. That if you're new and this is your first time listening to the podcast, you can check out all of our episodes on podcasting platforms anywhere. Tomorrow should be up tomorrow night. Depends on the time or what time exactly. I'm not sure. Kind of just depends when I get to it. Um, but that's like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. All those platforms should be there. And you can go listen to us after the fact. A little bit easier if you're listening like in the car or something like that. Uh, and if you're live with us on YouTube right now, you can comment your questions, and we'll hopefully get to them at some point during the episode. But, the main talking point for this episode, obviously, Ferrari confirmed for a uh, Lama Hypercar. Um, now, the first thing I want to say on this is that, like, we heard some hints about this. Uh, I know Marshall Pruitt sort of hinted at it a little bit in his This Week in IndyCar podcast. He sounded pretty confident that it was happening. Um... And then I saw one article on motorsport.com from, I believe, December, which also subtly like hinted at the fact that a Ferrari hypercar was coming, but they too seemed confident about it. So the thing I found most interesting about this whole thing is like, it's a pretty big announcement. Would you agree with me on that, Kyle? I mean, yeah. Ferrari going to the top class of Le Mans again, that's a pretty decent size announcement. And that's I'm just... just since,
1: since it's a hypercar announcement, and not an LMDH announcement.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I just I'm kind of questioning how that slipped under the radar. I mean, if people had definitive, I guess you know, reasoning that that this was going to be a thing. You know, we didn't have any of the, uh, I guess, headlines. That you know, we kind of got teasers within other articles that hey, Ferrari's making a hypercar, by the way. But I never once saw like a definitive article saying, "Yep, this is happening," and we know it's happening. Which uh, I found a little bit interesting because. I mean, this is huge news in the grand scheme of things. Uh, This brings the LMH car manufacturer count up. Uh, It's going to be Toyota now. Baikalis, still sort of a question mark. I mean, Baikalis was supposed to be on the grid this season, and uh, we haven't really heard anything since September, as far as I've heard, on their program. Uh, Glickenhaus, they are now set to be starting at Spa, because they were supposed to be starting at Spa initially, and then Portimao became a thing, which replaced Sebring. It was a little bit later. They said they were going to be at the season open at, opener at Portimao. Um, and then they sort of jumped back on that decision because of the but same reason. they have reason. been on track. Yes, they have been on track now, which is great. And we're going to talk about that maybe a little bit later on. So Glickenhouse is up there. Uh, Pujo, obviously, up there as well for a 2022 entrance, as uh, it seems and now Ferrari so that's five manufacturers for Lama hypercar um, and Alpine you know we're you know we've heard some rumblings that they may be looking into either Lama hypercar or LmdH we'll have to see on them um but yeah I mean the future definitely looks bright especially Lama 2023 it's just uh it's looking really grand right now especially when you add in the entries from Porsche and Audi they've both Seemed very interested in bringing their LMDh cars to Le Mans, so I think we're going into another golden era here. And that brings up a concern of its own, which I do want to address a little bit later on. But first of all, Kyle, your initial impressions on this Ferrari announcement?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a good thing um, to get another hypercar announcement, rather because the last few announcements have just been LMDh, which obviously just means that a manufacturer is going to build bodywork onto a chassis uh, and an engine. Hyper, um, Ferrari's going in all the way and uh, I think that's really good and you know, the, the Ferrari fan base uh, possibly some Ferrari drivers as uh, Leclerc has already said that he is interested we could get some you know other Ferrari drivers uh, to to compete obviously you know really it was just an announcement of hey we're doing this we don't have any details on engine the name of the car not, nothing else just 2023 and uh, they're doing this but yeah, I mean, definitely huge for sports car racing to have them there. The only thing we need now is for a uh, Ford and Multimatic confirmation to get another Ford versus Ferrari going, but <laughs> it's already going to be insane enough as it is.
0: Taurus asked, any news on Ferrari's chosen chosen engine configuration? Uh, no, nothing yet. Kyle, like you just said, it's basically, I mean, it was just an announcement. Yeah, we're doing this. Nothing beyond that. Nothing on drivers. Nothing on, you know, what team is even going to be running the car. Uh, we did hear that it's going to be a factory effort. So, mm-hmm. I mean, which makes sense. I wouldn't expect anything else from a hypercar program when you're already spending millions of dollars uh, to get it up in the air. I'm certainly not surprised that a factory effort was on the cards. Um, but nothing for engine. Now, something that I do want to bring up that I found a little bit a little bit interesting is that you may remember uh back i'm trying to remember when this would have been this might have been t- early 2020 or late 2019 the glickenhaus was actually supposed to it was rumored to be having an alfa romeo uh engine i believe it was a twin turbo v6 don't quote me on that uh but it, it certainly was rumored that strongly rumored even that alfa romeo would be supplying the power unit in the glickenhaus lama hypercar uh and regulation changes by the aco regarding the hypercar class ultimately meant that they weren't able to do that Um, and then they sort of reverted on that decision later on so alpha could have actually been their engine partner but glickenhaus ended up going with the v8 from peepo motors so my question is is that engine that was i i mean i'm going off an assumption here there's no proof that Alfa Romeo was going to be building an engine for that car. Um, But my assumption, or I guess my prediction could be that there may be a little bit of a tie-in there. Alfa Romeo and Ferrari, obviously both owned by uh, Fiat Chrysler. So there is that tie-in there. There's the tie-in that they have with the Formula One teams. Um, I mean, we'll have to see. I think that a, a turbo V6, something along those lines, wouldn't be surprising to me. I wouldn't expect anything like a V12. I'd be pleasantly surprised if that was mm-hmm. a thing. Uh, but no, I wouldn't expect anything above a V6, uh, you know, a turbo V6 or a V8, something along those lines. Um, also a four-cylinder, which would be uh, pretty surprising as well, but nothing on that yet. We'll have to see on hybrid. I'm sure that they're considering, or I'm sure that they're, you know, heavily interested in doing a hybrid system because they already do it with Formula One. But no, nothing nothing yet beyond... Uh, the announcement that they're doing it.
1: Uh, I mean, this is also a surprising announcement, too, if you think about it, because the last time Ferrari had any involvement in prototype sports car racing was the 333 SP in the 90s, and that car was made, you know, mostly by Dallara. Ferrari just did the the actual chassis and the engine. And then before that, when they originally left sports car racing uh, in, like, 73... They left because to focus solely on F1 and the whole talking point, the last few years of why doesn't Ferrari enter prototypes, it's that their focus is solely on F1 and in a time right now when the F1 team is probably at its worst is probably the time you'd least expect them to actually join uh, prototype racing, which is something I find, you know, very interesting.
0: Yeah. Um I don't know. I don't really see that much of a tie in personally with the Formula 1 team with the uh, the hypercar program, but I th- the thing that I think it boils down to is what's 2023 in terms of Le Mans, the centennial running. There's going to be a ton of manufacturers that are interested in fighting for it. I think that that's a huge negotiating tactic right there as they can say, "Oh, look. I mean, look what's coming up in 2 years time. It's the 100th not 100th running, but 100th anniversary of the first 24 hours of Le Mans. I mean, that's a headline thing. I feel like a lot of manufacturers are interested in that. And um, I'm i mean, I'm mean, not surprised that Ferrari... Well, I guess I should say I am a little bit surprised that they're jumping on it. Because, like I said, it was a little bit of a surprise announcement. Um, but I'm not surprised that their motives, I guess I should say. Uh, real quick, Ray Krieger, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, said they, I assume even means Bicolas didn't want to participate in 2021 due to the cost to compete at just a few races due to the pandemic. I believe I actually might have seen something saying that. I think you are correct. Um, and then the other thing that I saw was uh, Gam Wolfer saying, it's been decades since we've had five manufacturers, eight including LMDH, that are competing for Le Mans. What a time we're living in. Yeah, and that brings me to my next point, which is we've had this talk, about Le Mans hypercar and LMDH now those classes were both sort of promised to us as converged classes at the 2020 Rolex 24. Kyle you were there for that press conference and you know higher ups from the ACO and IMSA were both there saying yes we're going to make these two classes on equal playing ground to fight for the overall win at the 24 hours of Le Mans and you know that's what was promised to us at the time. Now look back to that time. The manufacturers that we had, I believe that was right after Aston Martin. No, sorry, that was, Aston Martin I think pulled their entry after that. So at the time, Hypercar was expected to have Toyota, Glickenhaus, Baikalas, Again, they were sort of on the, you know, on the verge of an announcement, but they're always sort of unpredictable on what they'll actually end up doing, and Aston Martin. Uh, and of course, LMDH, which was just announced then, had effectively nobody confirmed, but certainly a lot of interest. Well, now, Lamar Hypercar is gaining a lot of attention from these manufacturers, it's gaining a lot of commitments from manufacturers. So, what I'm wondering is, you know, is this going to play a factor in, you know, maybe not convergence as a whole, but are the Lama Hypercars going to have an advantage over the LMDH cars? I know James Glickenhaus has been up front about saying that there's no way the aco is going to allow porsche or going to allow audi to win the 24 hours of Le Mans mm-hmm. with an lmdh car i mean nice voice car do you have any opinions on that in its own i think that you know i was talking to you and i was talking to david about this over the weekend if they do this right and we have mm-hmm. this golden era you have to act like you're on the fritz once again. You know, you have to act like this is 2018 LMP1 where you don't have a ton of manufacturer interest and you have to like try to get the best with what you have because if you get too confident, then I think that's what sort of takes the fun away from it. It's what really makes it more of a political game than an all out fight. And I'm just hoping that we don't see a repeat of that because what we have right now is so much potential and so much promise that. You know, anything short of, of what we have in our heads right now uh, of what the two thousand twenty three twenty four hours Lama could look like would just be a letdown. So I'm just curious to think or hear what you think about that.
1: I'm taking the exact same thing. I mean, there's no way the ACO is gonna let LMDH win the Twenty Four Hours Le Mans You know, there's just And seeing Glickenhaus being so open about it it's been pretty amusing to me. Um yeah, I mean having to balance them I think is gonna be a process in itself. And I think mean you can very easily get that wrong. And the more manufacturers that join Hypercar, you know, the more pull you're gonna you're not gonna make everybody happy. And it's just uh yeah, you're you're totally right. It's gonna make every it's it's uh it's a little scary <laughs> but uh the promise that it has I mean, man, I just hope they don't screw this up.
0: Because what you're riding on right now, what they're riding on is a wave of hype. You can look at the Mm -hmm. headlines and you'll say, oh, I mean, look, we'll sit here right now and say we have eight manufacturers, seven to eight manufacturers that can fight for the overall win in just two years from now. And that right there has so much promise. We haven't been able to say that in how many years now? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I think, you know, they have a lot of pressure going into that one right there. I'm just curious to see what decisions they're going to make regarding the balance of performance and regarding how balanced the two classes, not classes, but two formulas of cars actually are. You know, I'm cautiously optimistic because, you know, let's be honest, we've been burned in the past because there was talk about DPI. I mean, DPI was almost promised to us that they'd be allowed to compete in the LMP2 class. And sure enough, that was sort of taken away. Um... After IMSA had already committed to DPI So, you know I'm hoping, fingers crossed That this isn't a repeat of that Because I think that there already is You know It's fair to say there's already a lot of promise Just in the LAMA hypercar class But if you can add Audi and Porsche to the equation Maybe Honda slash Acura as well I think that you're just adding That much more prestige and that much more competition And that in turn draws more eyes To the event
1: I mean, I've been super skeptical about LMDH as a whole already because, I mean, the new, the next regulation of LMP2 hasn't come out yet. And all of the programs that have committed to LMDH, I don't believe have, you know, have partnered with anyone on who's going to be building their chassis. And seeing how LMP2 is right now, I mean, I don't, you're going to need to I think you're going to need more chassis manufacturers uh before LMDH. you know we we haven't seen I mean I'm not I'm I think it'll happen but I'm just saying we haven't seen it yet and for a formula that's happening next year no 2023
0: no, 2023
1: yeah as for a category it's going to happen in 23 I mean the next the next I'd say Eight, twelve months are super important.
0: So, you what know, what exactly are you looking for? You're looking for the chassis manufacturers
1: of just LMDH as a whole, just skeptical, like, yeah, looking for chassis manufacturers.
0: Okay, because the chassis manufacturers, and I made a mistake, and might have been the last show, might have been the show, show before.
1: Um, I think it was a show before. The
0: chassis manufacturers are confirmed to be Orica, Ligier, uh, Multimatic, and um, Dallara once again. So, Right, we already have okay. that, but we we'll um, missed that one. So yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm trying to think of a good timetable for LMDH. The only LMDH manufacturers that have committed so far were Acura, Porsche, and Audi. Um, which you know, I think that that's a good number already to commit to a formula that's not due for another almost two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly there's already, there's interest. I think Cadillac is already. You know, they're they're, they're certainly GM slash Cadillac is certainly interested in it. Mazda, unfortunately, uh, downplayed any interest that they had in it. Uh, so we're not expecting them anymore. Uh, but you know, I wouldn't be concerned quite yet because I think that we're not really in the time frame right now. I don't, I can't remember when exactly the most of the DPI uh, programs or manufacturers were announced. But I think that we're in a reasonable time frame right now for, uh, for that. Macaulay Davy says there's a lot of potential in Le Mans racing, but there's more questions than answers at the moment. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And this sort of ties back to what I was saying with, you know, you have to balance these two classes of cars well. Uh, and the main reason for that is if you have two formulas of cars competing in You know, essential. I don't know what their plans are right now. I don't know if they plan to have like separate classes, or uh, I don't believe that's been talked about yet. But you know, if you have two formulas of cars competing for the overall win at Le Mans, as was promised to us, by the way, um, and you know they're not really on equal footing, well, then it becomes even harder to explain to somebody who's really new or somebody who's Maybe just tuning into the 24 hours of Le Mans because of the uh, the interest that gets brought into that event, but they're not really invested in the whole championship. You know, that brings a lot of questions, especially when you bring balance of performance into the equation. You know, you can explain to somebody, oh well, balance of performance really balances all these cars together, so that they're supposed to be on equal footing. Okay, well then, hey, how come, you know, the Audis and the Porsches. And the hondas aren't able to compete for overall wins and it's just these guys and the, the hyper cars and what's the difference between hypercar and lmdh you know it's certainly a confusing period for sports car racing um you know although it's very promising with the manufacturer interest that we have it is certainly i think more confusing than lmp1 was where it was just you know lmp1 if you're in lmp1 you know you can split it hybrid non-hybrid if you want uh, but pretty much anybody in LMP1 effectively was on a similar pace level. Of course, Toyota, LMA, sort of walked away with it from 2018 to 2020. Uh, but, you know, overall on single lap pace, the cars are pretty similar. I think it's fair to say. But So, yeah, I mean, you're right. You're going to have to figure that out. And, you know, that that's... When I say the eyes of the world are on you, that's what I mean. Especially if you get a driver like Charles Leclerc, um, Ferrari. Ferrari's going to pull in a ton of interest. Doesn't matter what they do with that program. Doesn't matter if they have all GT drivers in that program. You know that program has a ton of potential to pull in some people from Formula One, and I'm sure it will, especially for Le Mans. And I just, I'm fingers crossed they get it right. Um, so
1: Taurus asked a good question. How important is it that IMSA imminently announced LMDH and LMDH will both be legal for racing in North America? Which asks another question, you know, for me, um, is, you know, so obviously right now IMSA hasn't, you know, they haven't confirmed whether or not LMH will be able to race at Daytona or whether they won't. Because uh, we know that LMDH can go and race at Le Mans, but LMH still might not be able to race to Daytona. And what that makes me wonder is, do you think IMSA is delaying that because they know that the balanced performance is going to work more to the hypercars' favor, and they don't want the hypercars from WEC coming and basically dominating their you know, crown jewel races? That's kind of what that says to me.
0: Well, I mean, ultimately, IMSA, if any car enters their event, they have control over the BOP. So, I mean... It all
1: depends. I mean, do they?
0: Well, yes. I mean, effectively, they can add any, you know, BOP they want to the LMP2 cars. Yes, the LMP2 class is essentially an ACO formula. I mean, but if they wanted to, they really could BOP them. Uh, There's just really no need to because... You know, there. If you do that, then you start going into the fact of all right. Well, some of these teams are coming over from the World Endurance Championship. You know, you're sort of, you know, playing into that a little bit. But there's nothing really stopping them from doing it. But back to Taurus's question, I think it's extremely important that, you know, we see some convergence between L M H and L M D H on the IMSA side as well. Um, And to me, that all comes down to what I was just talking about, where you know, if you're a normal fan, you know, you're not highly invested in sports car racing. That's where the confusion thing comes in again. And, you know, I already see people who are saying, okay, well, how come Cadillac and, and Acura and Mazda race at Daytona, but they don't race at Le Mans? And, you know, it's easy for someone like me to explain, all right, well, they're two different series and two completely different formulas. But it's going to be even harder to explain if you have... LMDH cars fighting for the overall win at Le Mans, but LMH cars are not allowed to fight at Daytona. Or they're maybe not even allowed at Daytona. Because that's, you know, everybody right now has been saying that the Le Mans hypercars won't be allowed to race in IMSA. And I know Glickenhaus has been hinting that they are going to be allowed. At least their car is going to be allowed. So, I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that one. But I think it's extremely important that you know what you know convergence needs to mean convergence. You know I don't want an asterisk over it saying oh well you know they're allowed to race at Le Mans but Daytona is sort of a a you know an iffy. But I think it is important uh, that we have full convergence because even from an explanation standpoint, it's just easier to explain and it's I think better for the health of the series in general when you have more entries. Across, you know, even if it's across two different formulas. Um, Taurus asked again, wasn't there an LMP 500 and LMP 700 that were competitive with each other at some tracks a decade ago? Uh, yeah, it was, well, it'd be LMP 900 and LMP 675, uh, which then became LMP 1 and LMP 2. Uh, yeah, so in the American Le Mans series in 2000... Seven through, you know, 2008 really was what I like to call the golden era of American Le Mans series prototype racing. Uh, yeah, sure. Certainly you'd have Audi in the LMP one class. They were sort of the main guns in that class and LMP two, you would have the Porsche RS spider, the Acura ARXs. I mean, those were the two big players in that class and yeah, they would sort of bounce off each other for who had the fastest car at each track. The main premise of the the little competition between the two was LMP1 was heavier. The cars were heavier. And that's where the 900 came in. I believe it was 900 kilograms and 675 kilograms for LMP675. Um, so LMP1 essentially had more power, but they were heavier. LMP2 had less power, but they were lighter. So, you know, a track like Long Beach the LMP2 cars were actually a little bit better because they were more nimble. They could get around the corners faster on a tight street circuit. Tracks like Road America, the Audi was a little bit quicker. Um, so yeah, that was a thing before. It's not anything unique. It's just something that certainly you're going to have to explain and you know, make sure that people understand about your series because it's going to lead to even more confusion otherwise. But in terms of Le Mans, it's, there was really no... Point in time where LMP2 cars were fighting for the overall win, unless you want to talk about 2017, which was really just a fluke. Uh, Ray said, I've also seen Koenigsegg take interest in a Lema hypercar. I'd imagine they'd make a Lema hypercar because their philosophy revolves around being built in house. Um, yeah, I've seen like slight talk about that, I haven't seen anything serious. But yeah, I think you make a good point that I I too would expect them to do a Lama Hypercar because LMDH doesn't really seem like their route. Their, obviously Koenigsegg develops some of the most exotic cars in the world, some of the most interesting cars in the world, some of the fastest cars in the world. So yeah, I could see that Le Mans Hypercar would go around with their philosophy. Um, I think that's all I really have to say on the Ferrari announcement for now because there wasn't a ton of news, as we said. It's just obviously a big headline and we'll have to wait for the future to see uh some more about that program. Uh moving on though. I saw something or I've seen a couple things and I've heard a couple things over the past week um that Lamar may be postponed again. And I just want to touch on this briefly because these are just rumors at the moment um but I did see and these are as far as I know, unconfirmed reports, but I did see that there's a chance that they could be delaying the 24 hours of Le Mans to mid-slash-end uh, of August. Uh, last year, it was in the middle of September. And also the chance that we may hear something about that later in the week. And the goal with that is, quite simply, they want to get fans at the race. They didn't have any fans there last year. They tried initially. You know, they had a plan with their whole, uh, I think, fan villages, whatever they were trying to call their proposal. Uh, Didn't end up going through with it, so they had no fans last year. They really want fans this year. And from what I've heard, the European Union has been a little bit troublesome distributing the uh, COVID vaccines. So perhaps a delay in that is uh, in the works. We'll have to see on that because, as I said, as far as I know, this is all unconfirmed at the time. Alright, I know we haven't heard anything definitively, but I have heard that we may hear an announcement about that later in the week. Uh, Let's see. trying to think of anything else to talk about on the WEC front. We were talking of, actually, I'll bounce back to Glickenhaus because we were talking about them earlier on. They did run a, I think, two-day test at Vallelunga. I hope that's how it's pronounced in Italy, which is where the car is being developed. It's being Built by Podium Engineering over in Italy, and they ran a two-day test uh, over there. And according to Click and House himself, seems like the uh, the car ran without any major issues, and it uh, ran to plan. So certainly a positive there. Very excited to see what they're going to be able to do. You know, I think Click and House is really an eye-turning team, and you know, I'm just stoked for him because. I don't know the last time we've really seen and it certainly hasn't happened in the last ten years where you've had a manufacturer that's just said, you know, let's let's build a car from scratch. You know, we've had some privateers like SP and Rebellion, they'd bring a car, um, that was sort of like an off the shelf car. I know Rebellion developed their own car with Orica, but you know, I think what Clickenhouse is doing is certainly unique and everybody seems to be a fan of what they're doing. You know, they're not doing it conventionally. Let's say that for sure. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see what they can, uh, what they can pull off in the future. And they're not going to be starting as I I hinted at earlier until spa. Macaulay said they did 120 laps, which is pretty good. Yeah, indeed. Um, you know, they seem pretty confident about their engine reliability and, uh, We'll have to see what that how that car performs at Le Mans later in the year. Kyle, I'm at a bit of a standstill here. Do you have any IndyCar news or anything?
1: Um, well, testing's been happening a little bit. Sure, Grosjean's been testing.
0: He oh, you know what? Yes, because yeah, it's been because it was two weeks, and yeah, I completely forgot that we uh we missed the Grosjean test. So, do you want to go over that a it little happened.
1: bit? It happened. It <laughs> happened. Grosjean spun uh and then kept testing and he tested a day at Laguna Stake I believe he was fa- I heard he was fastest today uh can't really confirm that or not but yeah um the IndyCar world yeah I mean everything's spec in IndyCar <laughs> it kind of just tests you look at the board you smile at it and then things keep going there's really not that much importance
0: hmm. Yeah. um I mean, the only other thing I probably have to talk about right now is... Yes, I know. There is is an article on Planet F1 that suggested that Pietro Fittipaldi may be running the oval races for Romain Grosjean and uh, the Dale Coyne-Rick Ware entry. I don't know if you heard anything about that or if you have any opinions on that. I know we were speculating, uh, I don't know, two, three episodes ago. For a good fifteen minutes about who could who could drive the ovals in that car. We kept talking about Cody Ware. Um, I don't remember who else kept being brought up. I think Davison was brought up quite a lot. But now I it believe looks like
1: Davison's uh, confirmed to not be running it. There's been some. I mean, there's basically Pierre chosen the. He's in that group of drivers that's been talked about uh, running that car in the ovals. Um. I believe Davis I would say Davison's is probably off the board but then again I wouldn't be totally surprised if uh, his name got brought back I think Cody Ware um actually finally was um like given that he didn't have enough experience I think the drivers um brought up some concerns to IndyCar and I don't believe uh he will be doing the ovals I don't believe that's just what I've heard just some little speculation, little uh, rumors. But um yeah. I mean I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was Pierre Cho. I'd say he's probably the front runner for that seat if he wants to do it, if he has the time to do it. Is he he's still the Haas reserve driver, is he?
0: For I believe so.
1: Twenty one. I yeah. believe so. Didn't get the seat, but I believe he's still the reserve. I would say he's probably the front runner.
0: Which is interesting, because I don't think you or I brought that up. So, once again, our 15 minutes of speculations for nothing.
1: hmm
0: Only the best here. Only the best. Uh, Macaulay asks, as Americans, do you like when you hear X F one drivers talk so highly of IndyCar compared to F1 racing? Um, you know, I, For me personally, I think that it's interesting, you know, when an F1 driver comes over to America and they drive, you know, a road course series, for, you know, in our country. The thing I, I thought about immediately when you asked that was Kevin Magnuson, who really seems like he's been enjoying the uh, Chip Ganassi DPI program, just because I think he likes the fact that it's less pressure. And I think Rojon's likely going to feel the same way uh, with the De- Dale coin entry. When you're in Formula 1, you really are at the pinnacle of, of motorsports. You know, Whether it's your favorite series or not, whether you like it or not, Formula 1 on a worldwide scheme is... The biggest, most popular series, hands down, and along with that, you have sponsor commitments. You have, you know, PR. You have to take care of. You have to, you know. Sometimes it almost feels like you're not in charge of the driving. I imagine because of how, you know, thinly strung those cars are. You have to sort of tweak them to to actually run a complete race in them. And uh, I, I have noted that Kevin Magnussen enjoys the freedom that he's getting with the Cadillac where you can just sort of sit down and drive without modifying that much. Um, Kyle, I don't know if you have anything from your perspective on that, but
1: it seems like the drivers that come over from F1 seem to like our racetracks when you're in the U S a lot. I wonder why it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. They always seem to to like our
0: racetracks a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hey, I just remembered, we have some races we can talk about from this past weekend. Ooh. Yeah, Supercars, it's back. Um, they did a double header, the Bathurst 500, which is two 250-kilometer uh, two races. Um, And I just want to talk briefly about it. Now, I want to preface it by saying, first of all, I'm not a huge Supercars fan. You know, I'm, I definitely enjoy watching it, but I can't talk too much about it because... It's not my level of expertise, and I don't want to say something incorrect. So I'm sure there are other podcasts out there if that's what you're looking for. But I do want to touch briefly on it. You know, the thing that I noticed, especially in race two, was that uh, you know Cam Waters lost a little bit of time to Shane in the pits, Shane Van-, Van Gisbergen, and came out. I you know Shane got him right after turn one on that long straightaway up the mountain, and. You know, beat him out because he was on warmer tires on the uh, on the mountain section itself. And the thing that you know Cam Waters was saying, and that Shane was saying, and that Scott McLaughlin was even saying on Twitter is how difficult it is to race at Bathurst in dirty air. And I noticed this as well at last year's Bathurst One Thousand when it came down to Cam Waters and Shane Van Gisbergen. Um, you know, every time you thought Alkemy okay, Camp has the fastest car here, and you know, he's going to hunt down Shane. He might be able to get a move on and win this race. Uh, you know, same thing we were thinking this weekend. It wasn't really the case. And it's because, as all the drivers were saying, you have a huge dirty air problem with those cars. And I think Scott said that it's a problem that's been there for like the last two and a half years or so. Um, that leads me to believe it would have been something starting in 2000... 2018? I'm doing my math correct there. Yeah, 2018. Um so the new Mustang came out in 2000. Oh, man. Was it twenty nineteen or twenty twenty? Can't remember. It was uh it was uh I think 2020... it was nineteen. It wasn't twenty. It wasn't twenty? I was gonna Mm-mm. All right. Completely losing it here. I'm a little less Andrew...
1: I would have said <laughs> I would have said eighteen.
0: No, it wasn't eighteen. It was either nineteen or twenty. I think you might be right with nineteen, but Andrew help us out. I see you in the comments there. Um But, you know, the Holden, the new Holden has been around since, I think, 2018. Redacted. So, <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> um But I don't know what change they would have made from before that, because, I mean, the formula hasn't changed that dramatically in the last, you know, they, they had the new generation of cars come out 2013 or 14. Again, I'm not an expert on this. Andrew says 2019. Um, uh, for the Mustang, but I'm just curious as to why that would have been an issue the past couple of years. You can tell we're not supercars experts here, but the one thing that this does lead me to is the next generation of cars for supercars, which is coming next year with the new Ford Mustang and the Camaro. Um, you know, they're promoting less, I guess overbody downforce i don't know if that's the correct term more underbody downforce <laughs> trying to reduce the amount of dirty air that they have same thing that nascar is really trying to do hey look there's that tie-in you know everybody mentions the, the next uh gen nascar is similar to a v8 supercar um
1: now it's even more
0: yeah but uh so i mean that's the only point i really have hopefully with the next what gen are the differences superpower.
1: between the, like the next gen Mustang and this gen? Because the Camaro is obviously way different than the Holden, but
0: uh, well, there was really a... The, I mean, big difference. There was a uh, an article that highlighted all the changes. I would have to see if I can pull it up here real quick. Um, but I do know that it mainly. Let's see if I can find it. Oh yes, yes. Hang on, I might have found it. I do know that there are. Trying to have less dirty air by having less overbody downforce. I think it was something along like two hundred kilograms less downforce hmm. or something along those lines. Um but I don't know if I'd be able to find that off the top of my Basically head. Basically
1: they're just they're just pulling an indie car. It's like, oh we're gonna have this new car that looks like the old like kinda like the old one, but like it's got less stuff on it. We're gonna we're gonna produce downforce from under the car and it's gonna create better racing. Poof. <laughs> Boom.
0: Rico just commented 15 in the chat. I think he means 2015 was the new supercars regulations, hmm. which I thought it was 14 because I thought that's when the, um, Volvo came out, but you know, I don't, I'm not an expert on that. That's all you're going to hear me talk about that. Um, but yeah, certainly if you do want to watch some supercars races in your state side or you're anywhere, that's not Australia or New Zealand, you can check it out on YouTube and, uh, subscribe to their thing on their channel for like $5 a month or whatever currency converted to your uh to your which country. is what
1: others like racing series should be doing like indycar who has a problem with getting their races internationally so if you're in a country that you can't get indycar on your tv you know isn't it a you know great idea if they could just like pay some money and get it on youtube is not that wild yeah. They are gonna go to peacock can you even do peacock internationally I don't Can know. every country I don't do think,
0: that? No, I don't think so. I think it's a uh, you know. Oh, oh, oh,
1: oh. YouTube's for everybody. Oh, but uh, that that'd just be too smart. Save can't it for do another
0: that. day. We've already had this discussion before. Uh, Andrew said the quest. This is a quote from their website, by the way, from Supercars website. The quest for better racing includes a targeted aerodynamic downforce reduction of more than fifty percent from current levels. Uh, that's quite significant. I thought I saw something on realms of like 200 kilograms. Maybe that was just 200 kilograms less of like overbody downforce. I don't know. Maybe we'll try to find uh, the graphic that I saw when they introduced the new cars and uh, we'll talk about that in a future episode. Uh, so Macaulay asked the Bathurst 1000 is canceled this year, right? No.
1: No, that's the Bathurst 12 hour yeah. thing a month. So yeah, it
0: was the 12 hour which was replaced by these supercars. See, this double, double
1: This double sprint race was cool until you realized that it, the 12-hour the didn't happen. And that would have been like this time of year. <laughs> mm.
0: Yep. Tara said, yeah, you can watch Peacock with a VPN. Yeah. If a VPN service wants to sponsor the podcast, then maybe we'll uh, plug that <laughs> <laughs> Um Gam Wolfer said, the next-gen supercar looks like a Trans Am TA2 car. Yeah, I did notice that So the one thing I have with the new supercar is that and this is a shame to me because I love the look of the current supercars is that it's almost the direction that DTM is going. Not quite, because DTM just said, you know, fuck it. We're just gonna go full GT3. <laughs> um, but but supercars, you know, those they look I'd have to say they look closer to a GT4 car. And of course, yes, GT4 stands for Grand Touring. And, you know, you can say, oh, it's a touring car, but it doesn't have that sort of, you know, quintessential Aussie V8 supercar styling to me. I'm not that much of a... a, I don't want to say I'm not much of a fan of it. I certainly think it looks pretty good, but to me, I think it's a step down looks-wise, but that's just opinion. But what, like,
1: model would car manufacturers use nowadays? Everybody, like... I'm waiting for the first SUV racing series because that's all car oh, you manufacturers it. are produced the, it's, anyways.
0: No, it's the, uh, the Super Utes.
1: Oh, well... The y- well Super yeah, Utes. duh. <laughs> but, okay, well, see, that's the problem is the Super Utes series was originally, you know, racing Utes. And actually, you know what's funny is uh, when I was reading about... Well, there was a time when I was reading about the supercars regulations. They actually did think about... Making Utes the primary series. But it's like that's the problem because Utes used to be like its own thing. And now, when you look at car manufacturers, I mean, especially in the US, like what, what, like cars are, like what does GM um, and Ford make besides SUVs now? Like, what, what do they make? It's Don't, pretty much all SUVs and they're all do electric. Do
0: not get me started down the American car market hellhole. Because I will go on that do for that. Hours, You don't have to do that. that. I'm just but saying it's just a, a,
1: a point. It's a point, and it's correct. It's like Because they did actually consider making utes like supercars. Because, like, th- seriously, think about it. What? Like, that's the, that's why they're going to the Camaro, and they're running two-doors instead of four-door cars. Because, like, here in the U.S., like, does a four-door sedan, like,
0: exist anymore? <laughs> they're dying, sadly. It's a Honda Civic. I mean, it's...
1: But that's, that's, more of, you it. Know,
0: that's more of a, a United States car market thing. Over in Europe, you can still get a better selection of hatchbacks and sedans. It's just America's obsession with SUVs. Okay, what
1: sedans are in Australia, then?
0: Well, I don't know. I don't live in Australia. But... They're getting rid of the Holden.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean... If they're getting rid of the Holden. What cars does Ford make over there? like, I mean, these are the things, obviously, we have to look up. But obviously, it's a problem over there, too.
0: Yeah. Look, that's the thing i hate is the fact that the holden brand as a whole is getting axed because mm-hmm. you know i don't really care that they were rebranded you know the uh the diehard australian holden fan is gonna be pissed off at the fact that the later gen commodores are basically just an opal slash buick slash voxel slash whatever you want to you know any insert name here gm international brand uh like regal or uh, what was the it was the opal astra i think was the the European version of the Commodore, um, but you know, to me, there's just something about seeing the Holden name in supercars, and it, just Camaro. It, it doesn't. I don't want to see a Camaro in the supercar series. I'm really? sorry, I just don't. It's to me, I, it's just there's something about Holden versus Ford, and I'm not even an Australian. I've only been watching the series, you know, more than one race for a season or two now. So, it's a shame, but what are you gonna do?
1: When's the first SUV series? We got that like extreme E, Suppose it's really just like just spec electric SUVs, We're not like manufactured. But like, seriously, when are we getting our our SUV racing series? Well, when is that happening in the US? Uh, I'm down.
0: Well, they have the. Um, you know what else they have? They it's have the. Uh, the what is it? The Jaguar. Uh, the I type. What's the SUV? The Formula E?
1: E-Type, because it's an electric SUV. Yeah, okay, what? that one. Yeah. Get electric SUVs. Ford could still enter the Mustang.
0: <laughs> the Mustang Mach-E Racing Series. Finally I don't know. Jeep you know what? It, it may not be that far away, but I I don't want to see it. Everyone's out here
1: talking about electric and hybrid racing. Where's the SUV racing at?
0: Well, you can kill two birds with one stone. You get the Mach-E's and the, the Tesla Model. You was make it Model more X? interesting, and you don't just limit
1: it to electric. But a, you know, a Jeep, you know, Cherokee Compass out there, and you know, because there's no electric Jeep. Yeah. I don't think Dodge yeah, Chrysler makes any me. electric, like SUVs, like the other manufacturers do.
0: Oh, just wait. That's
1: gonna happen. The
0: Iron no, no, trophy. No. That was the actually electric... we
1: talked about this. The Jeep Chrysler, uh, Dodge Chrysler. They just like <laughs> they're going the opposite way, and they're in like. Uh, Hellcat engines in the in the in the uh, Grand Cherokee. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. No, it's it's not the Grand Cherokee. Well, yeah, the, that's the uh yeah, the is. Trailhawk. Yeah, but they yeah. also did the SRT Hellcat yeah. engine in what? It was the um God, what's the What did they put it in? Was it the van? No. No, they I swear they did something. They did They put it in a van, I swear. <laughs>
1: It's not a town and country, I'll tell you that. Whatever they call it. I don't know. Oh,
0: wait. Did they make... Was this real? They didn't do... No, okay. Good. I was going to say, there's no way they made a Chrysler Pacific a Hellcat. There's no way. I swear they put it in a van, though. <laughs> um...
1: They had start an SUV series just to have uh, Dodge Chrysler enter a... Uh, have all these electric manufacturers... And then Dodge just sticks a Hellcat Grand Cherokee in there. Boom. The SRT. Was that a Durango? What are they. What are they. What they No, wait,
0: wait, wait. Was that what it was? I did it was they a put Durango. The... Did they... Yeah, they might have put the Hellcat engine in a Durango. <laughs> they did. Okay, that's what it was. Maybe that's <laughs> that's what I was thinking of then. I think.
1: There's no point in this. What? <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Anyway. I'm going
1: like going down this like rabbit hole, but like what what would I want to like be a fly in the wall during the boardroom meeting? It's like, hey, we got this big powerful Hellcat engine. What do we put it in? Dude in the corner, I got a Durango.
0: Well, they're just putting that engine in everything <laughs> now for for fun. I mean, they're gonna pull a Dodge Dart out of the bin, front wheel drive and seven hundred seven whatever horsepower. Just let it rip. It's uh, just like
1: it's just like the whole vela swapping everything we're just gonna the (laughs) Hellcat engines and everything
0: yeah except they do it right from the dealer Mm -hmm. right from the production line uh sabuka says suvs might find a home in rally question mark um that'd be wild yeah Yeah, i mean the problem with rally is that those cars you know they have to be really nimble and that's suvs aren't (laughs) so maybe like Maybe they'll do their own sort of thing within Rally, but I hope not. I hope SUVs don't invade. You know, everybody's been talking about just wait until the electric invasion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, remember back in two thousand fifteen when was it Mario Andretti who said like by twenty thirty or something the Indy five hundred would be electric? Somebody, like that, yeah. somebody said that, and you know everybody's like, oh, I'm never gonna watch another day in my life if that happens. No, what I'm really scared of is the SUV invasion.
1: <laughs> well, the SUVs just use the electric invasion to uh, kind of hide their quest, you
0: know? Yeah, you know, if, if you want to do less, it for fun, then... then I think
1: a lot less, like, outrage has came out from uh, Ford and GM getting rid of all their sedans and having only SUVs. This is a thing I think that's just kind of sort of flipped under the rug.
0: And well, I know that's you have because... at
1: least like a 30 minute rant on this. But oh, I've had numerous it. 30
0: minute rants because you know, this is where they're not they don't I don't know why we're talking about this, but it's I'm fine with it. Um, you know, I'm mad at the fact that the car market nowadays doesn't appeal to driving enthusiasts, it appeals to the the common man or woman or whatever, but and that's that's business. It is what it is. You know, you could go watch the Top Gear clip where Jeremy Clarkson was saying, "If you're no interested in driving, you should have your driving license revoked." <laughs> mm-hmm. I just saw that one again this morning. But you know, it's the the car market has slim pickings nowadays for people who are actually car enthusiasts. And that's that's my own rant. If you want to hear that, maybe we'll do a special someday. That's not the Rainers podcast where I'll sit here on my channel and rant about the American car market for two hours because I could probably do it. Uh, let's try to get back to racing here a little bit. Um, Ray said, any opinions of Formula E being targeted in a potential missile strike? Yeah, uh, I mean, overall with Formula E, I don't have that much to talk about because I don't pay too much attention to it at all, honestly. Um, I used to pay attention to it quite a bit, but so, so yeah, I mean, don't expect to be Hearing that much about Formula E here, but I did see that, as I think most people did. Um, you know, what questions is that going to raise for Formula One? Is all I have to ask.
1: Yeah, I don't think they're going there. I, well, I that, just have to say right off the bat, I don't, I don't think they're going to end up actually going there.
0: Here's another thing with Formula One in Saudi Arabia: is what's going on with that track? Because I know it's supposed to be a street circuit, right? Mm-hmm. But even the Vietnam street circuit was like. And that, granted, I was always saying, oh, that's not going to happen, because not because of COVID, but because of, I just didn't think they were going to get that track done in time. But what's going on over in Saudi Arabia? I haven't heard anything with that track, and that's on the calendar for this season. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, no idea. I don't know, but I certainly think that, uh, that that's going to raise some red flags.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. What's going to be funny is when the uh, F1 video game comes out and Saudi Arabia is supposed to be in there, and it's it's just not. (laughs) And then it's just perfect timing when it actually doesn't happen. I like Vietnam, where everyone's just forced to drive that monstrosity.
0: (laughs) Oh, you know what? Let's, uh, Let's bounce back to the World Endurance Championship, because I don't actually think we've talked about this, and it's a very interesting point. Wild Stallion said, could GT cars be removed from Le Mans entirely? I think GTE Pro will be gone after 2021 or 2022 and will not be replaced. That's a good point. And as I heard a...
1: you and David like said that. Well, yes. Cause cause, I, I was wondering, we're... because you have to think about that um, IMSA has their like GTD Pro thing going. And
0: the
1: mm-hmm. uh, World Endurance Championship like almost refuses uh, to take GT3. So then, once all the manufacturers are gone from GTE Pro, what are they gonna do? Right, because they're not. You know, you already know they're not gonna take GT like a GT3 Pro category. You almost know that they're not.
0: Uh huh. Well, let's it's not play,
1: their idea. They're not gonna do it.
0: Let's play a game right now. All right, let's see if you can name me the two full-time GTE Pro manufacturers. Um, it is Porsche. Yes. And. Ferrari. Correct. Can you name me two manufacturers that have committed to a top class prototype program within the next two years?
1: Both of them. Yep. But you also know Corvettes coming.
0: Well, um, well yeah. Like, I mean, that, okay. And so. And also,
1: we didn't we didn't say anything about this, but by the way, Corvettes doing Portemau for the for oh, true WEC, which basically, I, I guarantee, Wack told them to. I think David said that.
0: Well no, I see that cuz the rumor Are recently so has been that that Mao or not the world endurance championship has been sort of urging Corvette to enter a couple of races whether it's for balance or performance purposes or just for hey let's get some fan interest because Corvette racing is a extremely popular team. Uh, they've basically been saying hey hey wink wink nudge nudge like run a couple of our races if you want to invite to Le Mans. We're not giving you an invite, you know, which is a that's what I've heard at least. Could be wrong, but that's the uh, consensus that I've come to with that. So yes, they are running Portobello and Spa. Interestingly, with um, Oliver Gavin, right? So like mm-hmm. I had been under the assumption that Gavin was going to be no more going to be doing no more driving with Corvette, and uh, surprise, he's back. Actually, the the reason I wanted to bring that up and look up something was because I'm trying to think of why they were doing that because. If I pull up the 2021 IMSA schedule and 2021 um, World Endurance Championship schedule, I'm trying to see if there is a two week overlap because, you know, effectively, I'd expect that any driver that goes stateside, international, and vice versa would have to probably quarantine because of COVID regulation set forward by the series and just guarantee it. local governments. So, what what does the schedule look like? We have oh, this is a long Wikipedia article. <laughs> uh, we have Sebring, which is on the twentieth. Portimao is the first weekend of April, so April fourth, and then Spa's May first. So, is there another overlap? So Sebring's the only question mark because I expect Gavin's going to be running Sebring with Lexus, and Ooh, then maybe. I mean that would be my expectation. I guess he doesn't have to, but Mid Ohio is the sixteenth for IMSA, and then two weeks earlier, I guess, which is weird because it's labeled as May first, which that's not two weeks, but okay. Right, I guess if it's a Saturday and Mid Ohio is a Sunday, um, Spa is supposed to be on May the first. And like we said, mid-Ohio on the 20th. So perhaps, or no, that's the 20th, the uh, 16th of May. Perhaps that's what the overlap is 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 you know, is from. But I'm not too sure. I was trying to think of a reason why uh, Gavin would be back in that car. Because they did the same thing last year at Coda when Corvette raced at Coda in the World Endurance Championship with Magnuson. Um, where Magnuson didn't even do Daytona with Corvette and then, you know, everybody thought he was kind of done, and then lo and behold hey, here I am um, which was a little bit interesting, I think What were forgot, we talking about we had before had a race
1: Coda Yes, they did. GTE
0: Okay, so yeah, GTE um, Corvette, I said that Corvette was yeah. the
1: the one manufacturer that's going to be racing Le Mans that doesn't have any
0: prototype. So, Corvette's the only question mark to me. Because if Ferrari, not if, you know, when Ferrari does the hypercar program, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they said, all right, well, we don't really need the GTE Pro program. You know, we're going to be fighting for the overall. Why do we, and I'm sure, you know, some of those drivers could be passed over to the hypercar program as well. You know, maybe we see a Reesey entered car, but then again, Reesey could even go into the AM class if they wanted to. You know, I just, the future for but would G- there
1: be an AM class?
0: Uh, I think that there's still a place for an AM class, for sure. I mean, LMP2 at Le Mans has become really, you know, in terms of who's fighting for the overall win, it really has become sort of a super silver class where it's like you look at some of those lineups and they're not, there's no real AM on that lineup.
1: Well, look at the entries. Here's something that'd be interesting. If you look at the entries um, for like 2023, um, which is 22 or 23 the next LMP2 regulations?
0: 23, 23.
1: So 23, I would say, would be the most important because I would, I would imagine with the new regulations, LMP2 is going to be a bigger grid because obviously right now we're just whittled down to like one Ligier and all our Acres. So I would imagine the next regulations you know with you know, Delara, Ligier, all of those you know back into the mix will probably boost the entry list and then you have the amount of entries in LMDH and LMH how many uh, cars do you think that leaves for a GT class?
0: Well that's my point is it's like I still think GTE M has a place, though, because GTE M will always have the gentleman driver. GTE is more of a. You know, I think it's easier to. Why would there be a in...
1: GTE-M if there's not like a GTE regulation anymore?
0: Well, that's the tricky part. Who knows? Yeah.
1: Which, you know, they shouldn't just go to GT3, but you know. But here's the thing. Okay. So
0: would you, because we were talking about this a bit over the weekend, would you want, not would you want to watch a Lamar, but would you be okay with Lamar having no GT classes? No. Okay. Because that, you know, we'll call him out right now. David Land was, was we were talking to him. He he was was saying, oh, I'd be fine with that. But, you know, I think that there is certainly something that GT cars add to the table. More than anything else, it's the fact that people can look at those cars and say, you know, that's a Corvette C8R. That looks like the car I saw coming home from work yesterday, which was a street Corvette C8. I want to see these
1: prototypes like race through traffic, too. <laughs> I want them to have a challenge. Yeah. Because traffic is what adds, to me, most of sports car racing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because if you're second place and you see a big gaggle of GT cars racing, you know that that's your opportunity and they're just going to be laying it all on the line, pissing off GT drivers. Great. I love it. They needed, you know, having no GT cars. You know, wow. You're not going to get held up that bad with a P2 car, especially with the next regulations.
0: Well, okay, let's talk about optimal scenario here. All right, if this was a dream scenario and I could have whatever I wanted, first of all, I would say I want complete and total convergence between LMH and Mm -hmm. LMDH so they're balanced to the best of our ability. Second,
1: I want the ACO to not absolutely, <laughs> you know, make the LMDH cars garbage a in their control of the BOP. I would like it to be fair. That's what I just said. <laughs> but, um... You
0: well, know,
1: I guess that's convergence, but, like, I was thinking convergence and more racing at Daytona as well. Just compl- well, I guess that,
0: Well, that too. But convergence meaning that the cars are balanced. Hmm. As I sort of said. Um... But GTE is in a really weird future, all right? Now, because IMSA is committing entirely to GT3. And, you know, it's our best assumption that they're bringing Corvette with them, okay? Now, you and I and David were talking over the weekend and said, all right, well, where does that leave Corvette at Le Mans? And David said, okay, well, they already have the C8R, the GTE car. He predicted that they could be running a full-season over there with at least one car in the world endurance championship. To me that doesn't sound like something GM would do. I don't see mm-hmm. them doing an international program. I don't think their market internationally for the Corvette is quite strong enough to support that. You know, they do a couple of WEC rounds right now, mainly the American ones because well actually I shouldn't say that cuz now they're going to Portimão Spa. But you know, historically they did Coda, they did Sebring, they did that one race with the C7R in Shanghai. But that was mainly to, uh, you know, promote. Uh, it was to promote something, you know, like a new, a new uh, something over in China with GM. But, you know, it seems, as I said earlier, like they're doing that to satisfy the Lama requirement sort of deal. For me, at least. That's what it seems like. And do I see Corvette running full-time in the World Endurance Championship alongside a GT3 program? No, I honestly don't. And that's if you watched my GTE video that I uploaded about a month ago now, um, I talked about, okay, where is this going to leave Corvette? Or where is it going to leave, specifically, Corvette at Le Mans? Because there's almost nowhere for them to go, I think. I think -hmm. that they may just be forced under the current regulations to call it quits, which, you know, that would be a tough decision. They've become a staple name at Lamar over the past 20 years now. And it would be a big shame if that's what they were forced to do. But, you know, their main priority right now is IMSA. So. And I certainly don't think IMSA would have done anything. And I already said that. IMSA wouldn't have. Went full forward with GT3, knowing that they would lose Corvette. I guarantee that. Oh yeah, so
1: that's a smart decision for IMSA. WC, they're not going to go to GT3 just because of Corvette. They, I think WEC can afford to lose Corvette because, like you said, international market. There's not. I'm sure there are, but there's not as many, you know, Corvette only diehard fans going to. Now, World Endurance Championship races or Lamont. Right. I mean there's certainly there's some, but that's not the majority. Mm-hmm. Like if Imsa went to if Imsa just said screw you Corvette and just totally you know botch them on the regulations IMSA would lose. Like what would a number you'd say they'd lose? Probably I would say like fifty percent.
0: Yeah, I don't think fifty like percent spectators the realm every,
1: at all. like they would lose the majority of their fans and it would hurt them. Look at the Corvette Corrals.
0: I mean, that's all you need to no look at. No more Corvette Corrals. <laughs> um, okay, so we're, yeah, back to what I was talking about originally with the dream scenario. Uh, so I'd have conversions between LMDH and LMH. I'd have LMP2. And then, you know, if I was in charge, Le Mans, I would want two GT3 classes.
1: I would just want one.
0: Yeah, you say that, but I mean that... We're you're also saying whole... dream scenario. Ah, true,
1: true.
0: I guess I know, I'll say dream with, with like too, a slight Because slight the AM drivers have
1: to be in an AM class <laughs> and we can't have, you know, AM drivers going against factory drivers because they don't like that and they bring on all the money. I get it. That's why G- I don't like GTD Pro and GTD AM. It should be one class. It should be one class. GTD right now as it stands, only being privateers, has how many manufacturers in it? I mean, Lexus... <laughs> not a manufacturer team right oh, oh so cute yeah it's hilarious
0: funny yeah I mean <laughs> I guess yeah a dream scenario then yeah you're allowed to say that but there's no literally way you're getting privateers. rid of an AMGT class literally right a now.
1: privateer in GTLM right now mm-hmm. literally a privateer <laughs> and privateers are, are they're not like cause, like privateers are allowed in GTLM as it stands okay factory teams aren't in GTD for some reason. And now that we're going to have only GT3, they're going to then they're going to then they're going to, you know, change it up to where, you know, factory and private, which I guess GTD Pro still isn't limited to factory, but pretty much it is. It's pretty much what they're saying. You know what it is.
0: Mhm.
1: Annoying. Why is sports car racing this complicated?
0: I don't know, but I plan on making a video about it in the future because yeah, there's still way us, too many questions that that need to be answered.
1: Yeah, it works for us because we can uh, we can inform people. Then again, it could be easier.
0: <laughs> Ray said, should GT five should the GT five hundred class cars be allowed to compete against LMH and LMBH at Le Mans? uh quick refresh if you're not familiar gt500 is a class in the super gt championship over in japan extremely fast gt cars and i don't know for sure because i haven't paid too much attention to lap times with gt500 cars but he did say uh due to the death of lmp1 and the pace defi- deficiency of lmh and lmdh gt500 cars are possibly the fastest closed wheel racing cars in the world You may be correct, because I have seen numbers between GT500 cars and LMP1 cars at um, Fuji. And I believe they were, you know, I was surprised at how close they were at the time. So you might be right. Uh, Anyway, so back to your original question. I'm going to say no, just straight up. Because I think the problem with GT500 is that it's not really the same ideology as LMH and LMDH. Um, you know, you could argue hypercar was, and I, I keep meaning to do my hypercar rant, we'll we'll save it for, I guess, next episode. But, um, you know, Lamar hypercar was originally everybody envisioned it as this class where you get these road styled cars, sort of GT, you know, GTE cars that are just amped up with a lot more downforce, sort of like GT500, I think, is what a lot of people are anticipating, maybe a little bit more error than GT500 and um from what we've seen right now it sort of looks like LMP1 cars again or at least LMP derived cars and it's made a lot of people upset you know understandably if you get your your hopes up for one specific style of cars and then you know that's what you had your mind set on to see another class of cars that looks largely the same could be disappointing for sure but I don't think the GT500 class would really fit in, and more than that, I don't think what they need right now is another class to try to balance. I think two is a big enough problem, and I'm already skeptical that they're going to be able to balance LMDH and Lama Hypercar. So, adding another class on top of that I think would add more problems than it solves. They're, they're one-tenth off... Oh, one-tenth of a second apart now at Fuji, I believe, compared to the 2013 Audi R18. Yeah, which is really impressive for a GT-based car. Cam said, GT Pro will be a place for gold and platinums to play until 2023. Interesting that you say until 2023. Like, what do you have in mind for after that? Because as far as I know, this is IMSA's commitment for the future. Um... But yeah, I mean, you're right. It's If you're used to GTD as it is right now in IMSA, you can expect largely the same with, I think it's fair to say, the same GTLM teams you have right now, maybe. Although, even that's a question mark because of BMW. And, uh, you know, also adding the addition of Corvette as well with a GT3 car, safe to say. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the cars themselves won't be that different from what we have in GTD right now. And I'm at a standstill again. What's to talk about? But um, but yeah, I definitely have a hypercar rant to go over when we have a slow news week because I think if there's anything I've learned um, from my Toyota GR 10 video, it's that people had uh, certainly put different expectations for the hypercar class in their head, and uh, it's caused a lot of anger. I think. Some of it unwarranted. I would like to say, and that's what the, my whole rant centers around. So we'll save that for for a rainy day. Um, I don't know. I don't think I have that much else to talk about for yeah, this me episode. Either. It's been quite a long one. What are we rolling on now? We're uh,
1: seventy-one minutes.
0: Seventy-one minutes. It's pretty nice. Um, but I think we're gonna wrap it up for this episode, and uh, you can check out our twitter which is at rain race podcast it's been on the screen the whole time and you can also check out our instagram which is new that i don't have a hand on but
1: uh neither do i funny enough
0: (laughs) but our good friend andrew does and if you want to hear the latest updates from the show you can follow on instagram as well if you have one that is also at rain race podcast and uh we'll keep you updated with the latest on our podcast Hopefully, we'll be back next week with another episode. If we're not going to, because of school for me or some other circumstance, you'll hear it on the community tab, Facebook, or not Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, and like I said at the beginning of the episode, you can check out the podcast anywhere, podcasting platforms tomorrow, as Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, all the fun stuff. And that's all I have for this one. So we'll see you hopefully next week, same time, 9 p.m. Eastern for another episode of the Rain Race Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in and have a great night.